Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today on the show I'm joined by Dan Breen, singer and guitarist with Hope Is Noise, who've just released their fourth album, Demons. How's it going, Dan? Hi, Owen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no no worries. I'm glad to have you on the show. I really like uh, I really like the new album. You happy with it yourself? Yeah, um, it's the first one we kind of produced ourselves. Um, the first two albums we worked with Kieran O'Shea. The last one we worked with uh, Noel Lynch. And this one we were kind of we wanted to do it ourselves, and we very much um, I think I think we got it there, pretty much, you know. But I don't think there's there's ever an album. I don't think there's ever a musician who steps away from an album and goes that's entirely perfect. Oh really? Know, I, yeah. I th- I, well, my experience. I think there's always parts where you're just like, maybe I should have done that differently. Maybe I should have played this chord or that, you know. Um, but when you're recording. Uh, on a budget um, and doing it yourselves predominantly um, you, you you know you just don't have the time to be going back and fixing everything or trying out new ideas in every part you know um, you, you just learn to kind of you know try and get it done as efficiently as pos- possible uh, without meandering too much you know was it is it just um, the fact that it is a budget that you produced it yourself or is it just something that you wanted to do anyway I think something we always wanted to do, but, you know, we're, we're, um, tell me a band who's made uh, enough money to be able to spend six months, you know, especially kind of we're an underground kind of DIY type band anyway, you know. Um, and we've always, the band has always been uh, running alongside of our nine to five, you know, other lives as well. So, you know, two of us in the band now are fathers. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and two of uh, and the rest of us have, you know, uh, uh, other commitments between jobs, uh, accommodation, partners, etc. So it's it's it, it it's not like it used to be when we were younger. Um, when I think about the amount of money we probably have wasted, you know, in the last 10, 15 years when we could have probably put it to better use. But this time we was a bit more focused. We had a budget. Um, we worked very closely with uh, Lawrence White in Wood Street Studio just off Washington Street. Um, it's also where we practice. Um, just off um, as if you were heading down past where Square Deal used to be you take the first right as if you're going to head over to the Mercy okay and then you see you know the, there's a computer place yeah, on the yeah. left go under the archway in there oh, around the okay, back right, yeah. yeah that's where oh, okay. um, we've been um, we've recorded a good few of the slow motion heroes stuff there down through the years um, we've recorded Hope is Noise there the last album was recorded there as well partly um, but this, this time, um, it just makes so much sense. We all live close to the city. We can walk in all our gears there because that's where we practice. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, our experiences before is that, you know, a lot of recording, there's a lot of pressure and stress trying to organize getting gear to a place. Who's going to pick up? Who's going to get back to Cork? Oh, I have to be back by 10. At least all this way, we're in the city center. I don't need you till four o'clock, for example. And then the person will come in at four, do what they need to do and leave. There's no kind of... Um, you know, time wasting or just, you know, um, as I said, we, we, we always try hard to balance uh, being in a band, working, personal life, etc., etc. Yeah. you know, just like every other, you know, band out there, you know, but um, I think we've, we've got it down to a kind of an art form at this stage, yeah. you know. Um, like it's, it's your fourth album and you've also got a couple of EPs as well and you've been going for like, is it since 2004? Late 2000, well, I suppose officially we became Hopeless Noise in uh, January-ish, 2005. So it's, it, it is 11 years pretty much now, you know. Are, are you almost like surprised that, wow, we're, how are we still going? 
Um, as Hope is Noise, yes. Uh, but I think it's 96, 97, we actually started the four of us playing together in my bedroom back in, um, in out in Ballincollig. So we've, you know, we had two other bands, namely uh, the Terranauts first. That was kind of 97 uh, to maybe 99 or so. Um, and then we became the New Messiahs a couple of years later. Um, the New Messiahs is very important, I think, for the evolution of Hope is Noise, because when we were the Terranauts, we were living in our own little bubble out in Ballincollig. We didn't really know about the live music scene in Cork or anything like that. But with the New Messiahs, that was the first time we actually played gigs in Cork City. We met other bands. We saw how it should be done, you know. Um, um, and I think once the New Messiahs broke up in late 2004, um, we formed, the four of us just kept going and formed Hopeless Noise. Um, and we've been pretty much playing constantly together since about 1997. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think the reason we we're, we keep going is that we don't, um, I don't think we're ever confident enough to say, oh, we've learned everything or we've done everything we can do. Every album or every song we write or something, it's still something new to us. Oh, we never did that before. Let's do this now. Um, we're not reinventing the wheel or anything, but for us we are. You know, it's something new for us to do. And um, that's why we're, we're still going, I think, because I think if we, if, we, if we did an album that went, oh, we did all that in the last album, that's a bit boring, um, we'd probably stop because um, we're still going because we're not bored yet ourselves, you yeah. know. I think once we get bored ourselves, then I think we'll call it a day, but we're still, um, we're still, I, I can't, at the moment, we've talked about it recently, I don't think there's any projected end to Hope is Noise. We'll probably still go and, you know. I actually had a talk recently with a, Johnny Lynch from Rest, and he mentioned, we were just saying, at this stage, I don't think we'll ever actually officially call either of the bands done, you know. Yeah. We mightn't play a gig for a long time, like Rest haven't played for a while, but they would never, it's, it's such a big part of our lives, either subconsciously or, yeah. you know, um, I don't think we'd ever kind of draw a line under it, we're done, or I don't think we'd ever release an official statement saying Hope is Noise are finished, anything like that. Um, We'll keep doing it at our own pace yeah. and, you know, if gigs come along or um, opportunities to play wherever, we, we generally take them as much as we can, you know. Yeah. So, like, what what kind of opportunities did you get in the early places, in, in the early years? Or, like, where, where did you play in Cork? Like, I don't know, I kind of... Uh, I kind of think of you as kind of a quad band or maybe the lobby. Is that kind of too too early? Um, no, we played... Uh, I don't think Hope is Noise played the lobby, but I definitely the new messiahs did we played the lobby a few times um i think hope is noise there was you know we played freds uh, still do um the quad was a big that was that was just um second home to us you know yeah. it was a real we, we really connected with the quad and that was down to dara and the staff there you know who just had a right idea about organizing gigs you know um made sure the bands got paid depending on how busy it was you know there was a kind of a um they Every band, even if nobody turned up, you got you were guaranteed a certain amount. But if you filled the place out, you were given you know a percentage of the bar or whatever, and you know that that I think is a very fair system, you know, because you you are after all bringing people into the mm. bar who are buying drinks, etc. Other venues, um, there used to be a lot more. Um, like I, I I remember us playing a gig where the corn market, um, oh sorry, the corn store restaurant is now. I remember there was a bar before it became the corn really? store restaurant. We played gig in there. Um, 
Ah, I'm trying to, where else? We, to, we pretty much played everywhere. Like, we knocked off City Hall off our list last weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know. played the, the uh, what was it? What's the Great the Irish Beer Festival. Great Irish Beer Festival. We played the Saturday night supporting the Frank and Walters. Um, Not two bands I'd kind of put together. No, but uh, we're very good friends. I've, like, I've, oh. I personally, I've, I've recorded guitar on a couple of their tracks. Uh, myself and Joe have jammed at the Franks in the past. Joe's the other guitarist in Hope is Noise, um, helping them put a few songs together on their last album, you know. Um, not nothing, nothing major, but we're, 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 you know, we'd know each other for a good few years, you know. Um, and we've never been too, um, we don't care who we play with, really, you know, as long as uh, they're not assholes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we try not to be. Um, but in terms of venues, there's been so it, it just like the first place that I think that had a big impact on us was um, the Wolfhound, which is now uh, next to Tom Barry's Bar. Um, it's Bar Pigal, is it? Bar Pigal. Bar Pigal. That used to be called the Wolfhound. Oh, okay. Um, Sounds like a much more rugged affair or something was, than what Bar Pigal is now. Be- before that, it was known as the Three Ones, and the Three Ones had a bit of a reputation for you know, let's say. Um, seedier aspects there was a guy shot outside there shot dead outside the three ones many years ago now before um unconnected to hope is noise oh very <laughs> much so but then the wolf found so in, uh, when we started new messiahs in what 2002 three we used to play a lot of gigs in the wolf found um and that's that that was also the place where you first got to see 10 past seven in cork or rest when they were young you know um, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. The Wolfhound. The Wolfhound, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've heard of that. I think that if you clock up, if you made a list of like all the venues that have been and gone over in Cork over the past like twenty years, like you'd fill a couple of pages oh. easily. Like it's kind of blink and you miss it oh, almost it is. sometimes. And like when you hear, let's say Ashley and um, Paul from the Frank and Walters talking about venues they played it, you know, in the early nineties, mm. they're mentioning names of bars that I don't remember, you know. Um, not of my friends wouldn't remember, but they were landmark institutions at the time, you know. So I think each generation have their landmark bars. I will say, though, I think the places and the opportunities to play gigs in Cork now is dwindling very much so. You know, it's, it's getting harder and harder. Yeah. Um, I'd hate to be able to, I'd hate to have to start a band now, you know. Where can you play um, between the, a lot of the, like, you probably have Fred's, that's about it, you know. Mm, and... The trouble with, you know, there's no trouble with Fred's, but you, as a band, you can't be playing Fred's all the time. Because the one good thing about having lots of venues in a city is that the bands get an education. You learn how to play on different sized stages. You learn how to deal with different types of rooms or sound engineers or, you know. Um, so for us, I remember that City Hall last weekend was very much... Uh, an education for us, you know, it's rare that we get to play on a stage that big. So we had to get accustomed to being, actually have space to move our guitar and have monitors. That's, you know, really good monitors, you know, that if you stepped back a foot, you'd hear nothing. You step forward, you hear everything crystal clear. So, right, yeah. you know, but, but there isn't enough of an opportunity, I think, to learn that, you know. Um, like Kushkin Lawn, that was another big venue when we were when we were younger, and especially they used to we used to do a lot of all age gigs there, um, which uh, which I think there is n- not enough of facilities for all ages gig in in yeah. Cork, I, and I think it it's 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 an area that's not it's never really been exploited, and I mean exploited in the sense just you know there are teenagers, there are young people out there who want to go see gigs, um, 
And there are ways of doing it that you don't need to have alcohol involved. And it doesn't need, it can be done in a, it can be done during the day. It doesn't need to be, you know, there are ways of doing it, but, you know, nobody really wants to take that on. Um, I think insurance is a massive problem. I think health and safety is another massive problem. Um, and I, I can't really see, when you see places like the print shop being shut down, you know, any other place like that, again, who are just trying to get things, you know, a bit of pop-up gig venue or something, they're going to be very rare from now on, I think. Yeah, like you know? like there are a couple of all-ages shows, um, but like, you know, it, I also think that like, from our perspective, you know, kind of late 20s or 30s or whatever, um, it's yeah, like, oh, there's nearly nothing. 40. <laughs> or 40s. <laughs> um, you know, like it, it, you can kind of just miss it. But I do think that there are fewer venues. Like I know they tried some all ages stuff in the Kino mm. and that kind of, you know, interest dwindled in that. And like Camden pa- Camden Arts Palace mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Like that is, I think that that's still a venue in that like I was at a gig there a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't. You know, I haven't really heard much about it lately, but I think you are right that like, I, I don't know, is it the venues are dwindling or something or is it just like they're always mutating or always changing? They're mutating, but there, there's also, there's not an appetite. I don't think um, bar owners or venue owners don't have the appetite to get involved in it because it does bring up, but you have this whole lot of insurance having to pay the bands, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there can be a lot of headache with that, I suppose. But there's also... I don't know, um, Cork crowds can be notoriously, you know, difficult. If you're a new band trying to start off to try and get people to come to your gigs can be very hard, you know. Um, so unless um, unless you're going to be able to run gigs from, and most people, as far as I can tell from Cork, don't go to gigs before 10 o'clock. <laughs> you, know, you know, people roll in at the 10 o'clock mark, you know, that's generally seems to be in our experience of things, you know. Um, like, like, even... For me, it's it's not even just a, a lack of venues. There's a lack of different types of venues. You know, there's no way that a band can start in a let's say a fifty-person venue and move gradually up to, you know, let's say, for argument's sake, the Opera House or the Savoy. You know, to, where you can get several hundred, maybe a thousand people in there, whatever. Um, there's no way, as I said, it's all about educate. You know, you know, it's it's very playing Freds. Um, is amazing, you know, and especially over the years, they've improved the sound system there and stuff. But after Fred's, you know, it would be nice to maybe, well, Cypress Avenue, I've never really liked it as a venue. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, we haven't played there, in, you know, we've only played there once in the last couple of years. But though we've played some of our, we've supported Mud Honey there and Jello by Afra. Um, they were great nights. Jello was great to talk to afterwards. Um, to Crane Lane, another great, you know, it can be another great venue, but I think um, it's a certain crowd and it's yeah. a certain, you know, um, I think what, what, what the city's missing, I remember the, 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 the latter years, maybe when I was going to College of Henry's and stuff, and, you know, that was a, con- you know, you go in and it's, it's, it's a compact room that you played a gig to, so if you didn't want to listen to the music, you go outside, etc., etc. But um, I, I, I don't know, I just, I, I, I feel... Um, there's been a lot of missed opportunities. The Half Moon Club is another one, I think. Yeah, I can't believe that they're not that's utilizing one, yeah, that room. That's one of the best. Like that had I played maybe one or two gigs there in the past, and they were that's one of the best sound systems a stage ever had in Cork. 
it was so sporadic as well just the past couple of years when they'd have a show and you're like this is a great room why isn't this used more and then it's like eight months later oh there's finally another gig on here it's just it's it's mad how places just aren't utilized. for me the biggest mistake they made with the place is well i i believe they tried to turn it into a smaller theater thing which didn't really take off but i think when they moved the bar upstairs the old half moon used to be able to go in the bar was on your right downstairs so nobody mm. had to go all the way up the stairs or to get a point and it kept people in the room in front of the stage you know I have vague memories of that yeah, yeah. Um, but again look um, it's up to the bands now to try and step up the ones you know then we, we, we try and organise different gigs here and there and everywhere so Pine Lodge is where we're launching our album on October the 8th and that's that's always a great Paddy is always a great person to deal with there you know um, it's one of these venues that kind of just quietly goes about its work That's and it. you can have amazing nights amazing there amazing nights uh, we have a bus going down to that and you know it's, it, tickets are selling well we're heading up to three quarters full now so you know so that's going to be a guaranteed great night and um, we're playing with three great bands you know Ten past seven Ten past on the seven. bill. Their first gig in like three years at least. Yeah, well, we dragged them out of retirement, you know. <laughs> we we had photographs. We threatened them. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, you must have played uh, some great shows with them down the years as well. We were just thinking when's the last time we played and we're thinking it was the closing of the quad. Oh, which really? Which was what, 2010 maybe? 2010 or 11. Yeah, yeah. That's the last night. I remember I covered Fugazi waiting room with them. I sang that night. They played it. Um, but other than that, no, we haven't played together that much. Um, uh, but Pat went. Pat, our bass player in Hope Is Noise, he he was in the band uh, Cortex. Rory was in that band. Yeah. So you know, so they were like a, a nine or eleven piece well. yeah, heavy yeah. metal mm. band. Yeah. Um, so you know, even though we mightn't play together, like we just we all we've known all known each other for years. I tell you, Hope Is Noise, Ten Past Seven, and Rest. Uh, they're the bands that are still going from still the time going, we started, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So the three of us are still, you know, we'd have played gigs in the Wolfhound back in 2002, three, four, and we're still kind of playing gigs now. Um, but it's it, 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 10 past seven, rest. They'd have, we'd probably have similar issues, you know, in terms of they, a lot of the lads are living away from Cork and stuff. We've been very lucky. The four of us have always lived in Cork, we all have jobs in Cork, we have families in Cork, we've never really had to move anywhere uh, for jobs or anything like this. Um, and I think that's that's a big reason why we've still been able to kind of stay together. Uh, I, um, just going back to one of the earlier points that you made, just kind of um, being asked to play guitar with uh, the Frank and Walters, you know, is that just kind of something that does just happen. I know Eileen Hogan on one of the recent Point of Everything podcasts, she was kind of talking about this kind of mixing of Cork bands, you know, like everybody kind of just does their own thing and then someone, you know, would be into this and then might get into that and kind of just ask around. And like, that does kind of seem to be um, something that's kind of happened with you guys, you know, just like, you, of course, you know, Ashley or someone from the Frank and Walters. And of course, they're going to, oh, hey, you want to do something like it was, this? It was actually a lot stranger than that. Um, Joe's the guitarist in uh, Hope's Noise. His mother got a phone call one day from Paul wondering <laughs> if this was uh, because I think Paul had been a student. Joe's dad was a, a lecturer in CIT in auto, auto, uh, automobile 
engineering, you know. So, um, and I think for some reason, um, Paul had worked out that Joe was the son of the, his former lecturer, Martin. But he'd heard the first album, you see, and he really loves the first album. He like in that you know that poll they did a few years ago with the top fifty albums. Mm. Um, we came number nineteen for that first album, but oh, in in the independent or something was it? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and fifty uh, best Irish. But it was Paul from albums. the Franks who wrote it, who who said how great the album was. He was the kind of you know they they say our oh, number nineteen, and then they get someone to say why it's mm. why it's there, and he was the guy who said. Um, so, um, I think it was the it, it was I don't know why we didn't use Facebook or something, but anyway, that's what happened. And Joe rang me saying. He'd got a message from Paul from the Frank and Walters um, saying, "Do we want to meet up?" Um, I think the lads. It was just Ashley and um, Paul at this stage. I think they had lost their their guitarist, so I think they were looking around to see to try maybe maybe with the eye of working with other guitarists or other people or something like that. And they really liked our stuff, so we had a couple of jams. I wrote a couple of parts that eventually made it onto their album. Um, well, we've been pretty much friends since then, you know. Um, Slow Motion Heroes, we played a lot of gigs with uh, with the Franks. We played a wedding in France last year because the Hammond player in Slow Motion Heroes married the sister of the drummer from the Franks and the wedding was in France. So Slow Motion Heroes and the Franks were the wedding music for that night. And that was, wow. it was a, oh, what, it was a savage <laughs> night. Yeah, really was, good was night. That, so you had to learn all of the Ab- Abba Medleys and, and no, all No, that. we played our own stuff. Um, the French, French were mad. I think the French loved the madder the band are on stage or how more they throw themselves around and, you know, go a bit, they love that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I've sang a few songs with um, the Franks, like this is not a song, that's possibly one of my favourite ones. And I've sang that a few times with them live at various things through the years. So it's been very, and he sang with us actually on Saturday night in City Hall. He sang one of our songs, Paul. So it's very much a, you know, mutual, you know, respect, friendship. Um, we don't get to play a lot of gigs together, but when we do, we generally have a laugh, you know. But it, you're right, there is, a, there is a tendency. I remember when we started in 2005, 2006, you'd go to a gig, let's say in Fred's, but you'd meet people who wouldn't necessarily be into heavy rock or into metal. They might be singer-songwriters or into the poppier stuff and... But then you'd go to the quad next week, there might be a lighter gig on, but you'd have metal people at it and stuff. You know, there, were, there was this more of a, an overlap. It didn't really matter who you, what you were into. You were, we were all part of the Cork kind of scene, you know. And there was a lot of cl- collaborations came out of that. Um, I think it still happens, obviously. Yeah. But I, 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 I wouldn't, maybe, maybe it's because we're older, but I don't see the same enthusiasm within the scene as I would have had, let's say, back 2005, 2006. Um, a lot of that's down to the venues, I think, because we're still producing. The, the Cork is still producing great bands. That there's still there'll always be that. I think there'll always be, uh, but I think we don't have the venues or the promoters anymore. I think the promoters is a big thing. Um, like for us, Leo Sullivan, who used to put on all these. Like remember, uh, during jazz uh, jazz festival, there used to be Fred's used to hold this thing called jazz funeral, where they'd get all <laughs> metal bands. But that used to be an annual thing, and it used to attract hundreds of people you know yeah. and bands from um the one thing i me and myself and pat were talking about recently it's you don't see many um underground diy touring bands coming to cork anymore because there aren't the promoters getting on to them saying come on down um like 
Um, no, maybe there are in certain genres. Maybe I'm more talking about the rock the alternative, side of the rockier yeah, side yeah. of things. That that is definitely gone. You know, I don't think there is. Um, like, where where would you get? Uh, um, like, if you look, even look at Fred's five or six years ago, some of the bands that were playing in there, or you know, were they deliberately try and include Cork? Um, Hostile Come Over, that band we toured with in America in 2007-ish. Um, we met them because they were brought to Cork. You know, they came to Ireland and, you know, through Dave Ahern or so, some other promoters who, who worked, uh, you know. I think, I think everyone just grew up and had other, th other you know, responsibilities that they just couldn't give the time. Because being a promoter is, is a thankless job, I think, in many ways. Um, you don't get paid a lot. You might end up having to share your house with 20 people who tend up, who turn up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> merch people and everything. And, um, you have to cook and all this. And, but the DIY scene, uh, we learned a lot from that. When we toured America, we learned a lot from the DIY scene. So, um, part of us will always be connected to that way of doing things, you know, do it yourself, organize the bus yourself, um, try and be as courteous as you can with people. Um, and we always get that same, vibe I think Galway is very similar you know um, Galway and Cork I think are very similar in how the DIY, DIY scene and how everyone just comes together regardless of what music you're into you know that there's this coming together of uh, all different genres and all different opinions and all different ideas um, I think it's probably a little bit more clicky in Dublin you know and that was always our problem hope is nice we we were always too uh, too heavy for the pop crowd and too light for the metal crowd. So we were kind of in the mid and you know in the middle, and uh, it didn't do that. Didn't do us any kind of uh, service really, you know. Um, but Dublin has always been the hardest place for us to play. We, you know, we banged at promoters, we banged at venues. Um, rarely get a response. It's weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just uh, you know I don't know. Do we need to release twenty five albums before you know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I know in the past, um, especially the first maybe five years of the Hope is Noise, we, we were inconsistent when we played live. You know, you might, depending on how you catch us, it could be a good gig or it could be a, an only okay gig or it could be damn right shit gig, you know. Um, but in the last four or five years, we rarely put a foot wrong live now and a lot of that was just, come on, lads, you know, if we're going to keep doing this, we have to make yeah. sure we did, you know. I always had a, a plan in the back of my head to um, stop playing around 30. You know, I think I, I always thought being in a band was something you did when you were a teenager or in your early 20s and you stop when you're 30. Because, because you'd be less interesting after 30 or something like that? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, like, I definitely found um, first album, for example, Hope is Noise. A lot of the lyrics and stuff in that were very much teenage angst or early 20s angst about relationships and stuff like that, you know. And I often found... Like, I don't want to be 32 still going on about, you know, the girl who doesn't love me anymore or something like that, you know. Um, and I thought that's the only way I could write, you know. And so I was thinking, right, I'm going to stop at 30. Too embarrassing, these old men. <laughs> but when we went to tour at the Hostile Comover in America, we were one of the youngest bands. We were like 26, 27 at that stage. We were one of the youngest bands over there touring. And these, a lot of these bands were working shitty dead-end jobs just to make enough money to go touring for two or three months of the year. And the amount of bands we met, 
I, me personally, I think the band as a whole, we came back from America that tour and said, hey man, we can keep doing this till we're, till we can't walk or can't use our hands, you know. Um, there's no reason not to, yeah. you know. And, and I think um, definitely since that, um, and we did another tour then in, in, in 2011, um, we, we, we've, we've definitely gone, we can keep going. There's no, you know, as long as we can, we're not flying ourselves financially and we're not ruining our personal lives because we're jamming seven nights a week or we're touring for three months solid, you know. None of that's going to happen. Obviously, realistically, we all have jobs, families. We can't go off on a three-month world tour, you know, and the days of A&R men or anything like that, that that's all gone now. You know, so we, we, if you're intelligent about it, there's nothing, and if we're intelligent about it, there's nothing to stop us playing till we're 60 or 70, you know. If it's good enough for ACDC. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, what about uh, the other two bands who are playing the Myrtleville with you, Horse and Oncala? I've heard of Horse before, that's kind of Minnie's band, isn't it? Minnie, um... Lots of people around Cork will will know he's been in pretty much every metal everything. Band. Yeah. And was he singing with you as well on on Saturday? He was. As many many sings with us on the album. He sings on the song "In Case You Fuck Up." Um, so he did. He came on and joined us on stage. But many um, has collaborated with us with us on many occasions, and he's just you know, in many ways. Um, if it wasn't for contractual and legal reasons, he'd probably would be a member of Hope Is Noise, you know. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's he's contracted to so many other organisations and groups. Those legal uh, restrictions. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, but Horse, brilliant, you know. Um, there's many, Kieran Hennessy, uh, Golden Bear, he used to be in, oh, we call him Golden Bear. Um, but Savage guitarist. Um, and then you have Wayne from Waiting Room on drums, you know. I know they recently had a, got a new bass player. I haven't met him yet. Um but just it's just intense, savage and tight. Um, then Ancala or Ancalo, um, <laughs> oh yeah, Ancalo. Yeah, they're um, they're brand new. This will be their first gig. Oh, class. Yeah. So um, I don't know what to expect, you know. But uh, I know some of the lads in the band who were in other bands like Cortex and uh, Slugbait and stuff. So I think it'll be a similar vein, maybe. Um, uh, loud and intense hopefully great well um i won't keep you too much longer you have to get back to work it it, it sounds like uh um the work is taking up like you've released a book as well you work in the public um museum in cork Fitzgerald park and so i know that you released a book was it last year on like the um the international fair exhibition yeah yeah that came out in 2014 so yeah two years ago i've collaborated then in other books with uh, other authors on using some of the museum's collection, you know, postcards, old postcards and stuff. So we've done stuff on Cork City, Cork Harbour, West Cork and North Cork. Um, yeah, I've, I've been working in the museum 14 years. Um, was, Is history just something that you've always been really interested in? Mm, Do you study it in college? Yeah, I did history and archaeology in UCC. Um, I blame Indiana Jones, pretty much. I remember when <laughs> I saw... I, when I saw... Uh, I think it was probably the last crusade was the the one that really stuck in my mind as a as a teenager, you know. And I said, "Well, well this this is cool." Obviously, the reality of history research and uh, archaeological work is 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 very different, and it's you know it's pretty boring most of the time, you know, because mm. it's you just have to knuckle down and do the research. 
Um, but I was an archaeologist for a couple of couple of years as well, working on various sites, um, especially during the Celtic Tiger when all those uh, bypasses and you know were being built around the place, Ballincollig, Mitchellstown, Kinsale, all those. I, you know, I worked on a lot of those. Had to survey the sites, make sure. Well, that no, it's just built here. being an archaeologist at that time was just immense. Uh, like I, there was one site in ninety eight, ninety nine, down near Dungarvan where uh, the bypass across uh, just little past Kilmac Thomas or just a little before Kilmac Thomas where they make Flavin's porridge actually. Oh, okay. Um there was ninety archaeologists working on that site. You wouldn't get you would you'd barely get two archaeologists on a site now, you know. There was just there was just silly loads of money being spent. Um there was a lot of money being available. Um and that was a great time to be an archaeologist. And they were running out of they needed so much pe- so many people, they weren't even hiring archaeologists anymore. They were just hiring young people in the local area who wanted to, did you want a summer job? Come work, we just give you a shovel and you dig this here and, you know. Um, a lot of people think, you know, they, they, they look at um, time team, they think everyone's down little trolls and they're just, you yeah, know. Yeah. No, most of the time I remember you, right, we need to get this dug out quickly. Here's a mattock, here's a shovel. You've got two hours, dig this pit. Might be three metres deep or, you know, four metres wide and dig out the ditch of a ring fort or something like that, you know, so... Um, but things have quietened a lot down now in in, uh, in archaeology. I, I have a lot of archaeological friends who, for years, worked in archaeological sites and are now gone back doing medicine or gone back doing something else. They just realise, you know, um, archaeology is pretty much a young person's game because it's very nomadic. You could be in Cork one week, you could be mm. in Dundalk the next week, you could be somewhere else the week after. You just go where the work is. Um, and that's really only ideal when you're kind of young, I think, you know, and you haven't got a family or you haven't got a house or a mortgage or whatever, you know. Um, so at, uh, around, oh, so I, w- I went to college then in Sheffield. Oh. Uh, I did a master's in Sheffield. Um, How come you, you, you wanted to get away from Cork? Yeah. For a while, much. was it? Yeah. yeah that's probably I, a good idea. I just wanted to go somewhere else. Um, and Sheffield was great. What a brilliant city yeah it know. still sounds like it's a great city i have a couple of friends i have well definitely one friend living over there anyway and she says it's it's great like no it's, it's savage i remember uh, i went to see a band one night in a place called the lead mill and it's only a couple of years later i realized it was the, kind of an early version of the uh, arctic monkeys you know what yeah a yeah, very early version of them or something they were young fellas at the time wait you saw like alex turner and stuff well i don't remember much of it but I, apparently i was there um Wow. I was talking to a, the guys in my class who had gone, we'd gone out that night. We'd end up going to this venue called the Lead Mill, I think was the name of the venue. And I think that's where they used to play a lot of their early gigs, you know. Mm. Now, I'm not sure where they called the Arctic Monkeys then, but subsequently my friend who would know, uh, would have known better says he did a bit of research and he found out that, yeah, we were probably at one of those early gigs. Oh, but man. again, man, I was probably at the back facing the wall <laughs> drunk so I don't so what you're saying is that you discovered Arctic Monkeys <laughs> yeah 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 um <laughs> I wish um no Sheffield was great I came back from Sheffield then um I applied to Cork Public Museum for uh four weeks work experience so I could write it write about working there as part of my master's um course um and I'm still there so that's Four weeks work experience has turned into fourteen years now. Class, mm, still oh, enjoy. I'm it. Very lucky. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, I'm no acting curator. Um, you get to do a lot of p- 
put on exhibitions, get to meet a lot of people, get to, you know, handle a lot of great artifacts and, you know, um, hear interesting stories. Um, yeah, so history. Yeah, if I, if I wasn't doing history, I don't know, you know. Uh, I think, and it's a, it's a type of job that I think um, has left me, you know, left me enough headspace, I think, to be able to do the bands, as, you know, in the evening and stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think if I was in a job now where I was highly stressed all the time, I don't think I'd have the space to do music. Um, but, you know, like most other people, music for me and music for all of us in Hope is Noise is a, is, is a release. It's, it's, it's our gym, you know what I mean? It's our five-a-night, our five-a-side yeah, soccer yeah. night, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just something we do Monday and Tuesdays. Um, that's one thing in the last four or five years as well that we've become more regimented. Uh, we used to always gorilla jam. What time can you jam this week, lads? Uh, Tuesday, Thursday? No, it's because of families and stuff. We need Time to be able so to. Precious. So it's Monday evenings, every Monday, regardless if we've a gig or not, we practice every Monday. Um, same with slow motion. Then we're every Tuesday. So it's it's it's. Um, I think that has been very important to us. Keep going as well. You know that we know every Monday evening, three hours. There's hope is noise jam, you know, and um, if anything comes up, you know, there's uh, Monday. Nothing really happens on Mondays anyway, so we're we're generally kind of. It's just worked out really well, and I think it's it, it's helped as the band to keep going and to to get better, better and better playing live. You know, get more and more used to our instruments, get more and more used to you know things like that. So if if, if I could give any advice to anyone starting a band, just pick a night and stick to it. Stick to it, yeah. Yeah, you know, regardless, and especially, there's a lot of bands out there just just through how things are. You know, they don't get to jam until maybe a week before the gig, or they only jam around gigs. My advice is just try and keep jamming all the time, even if you don't have gigs. You know, yeah. which I think it's important. You know, um, like jamming for 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 me and for us is not it's not just about learning the songs. It's actually about learning about each other and you know, um, hanging out and being comfortable. Because I think if you're comfortable. Um, there's nothing worse than playing in a band where there's tension, you know. And you can spot it kind of straight oh, away. Oh, well. it's, it's like there's a dark cloud just hovering yeah, over the room, yeah. you know, because some particular personality is just, you know, is 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 just larger than life. Um, whereas I think if you jamming a lot, hanging out, I look, I think we're we're in an envious position anyway. Even if we weren't jamming in a band, we'd be the uh, we'd be hanging out. You know, because we've been friends since school. Myself, Joe and Louis went to school together and I've been friends with Pat 31, 32 years. You know, we grew up in the same street in Ballincollig. Um, so I, I I would say even if we didn't have the band, um, we'd still be all very good friends. But having the band is an excellent bonus. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I suppose we'll we'll leave it. So fourth album, Demons, is out now. You can buy it on um, hopeisnoise.bandcamp.com. It's in Plugged as well. And Plugged and... Uh, Music Zone yeah. in, in Douglas. And you're playing Lodge Fest at Pine Lodge in Myrtleville with 10 past 7 on October 8th. And you're going to be well drilled for that. You're going to be, after all the jamming, you know, it's all going to come out. Well, it will. Um, and, um, <laughs> the last time we played Lodge Fest, all the tops came off as well, you know. So, But that was, in, that was in the middle of July, you know, when it was hot. I'm not sure about <laughs> October. But hopefully, hopefully uh, there'll be a few tops off for uh, October the 8th. On that note, thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks very much, Owen.